All right, everybody. Good morning. We are glad that you're with us. Uh, my name is Mike. And oh, Sterling, bless you. Bring it up. Let there be a telestrator, and there was. Hey, I want to welcome you guys. Um, I got a I got a couple of things I got to get off my chest. All right. First of all, this is not a bowling shirt. This is. I've sold myself out to, for free advertising, and so not really, uh, but I would. One of the things that we're doing, I want to let you know about, is we are uh, at the Irvine campus starting next Sunday night. We're going to take 10 weeks uh, uh, to talk about something, we're to host a conversation called Naked Truth, which is love, sex, dating, and all of those things for college age and high school age students. Around the Irvine campus, there are 100,000 college and high school age students, so uh, I'm going to be a part of that, just wanted you to know that, and, uh, and I wanted an excuse to wear a shirt that said Naked Truth, or if you want more information, getnakedtruth.com, there you go, see? So, um, but, but, but it's really kind of a big deal uh, for the Irvine community, because one of the things we've been blessed with down here is a lot of multi-generational stuff, uh, and we want to see that happen at the Irvine community as well, so we are, uh, so you're allowed to come if you're that age group, but, you know, I mean, the ideal would be it's, it's just for folks up there, but we won't, we won't punish you if you want to study the Bible more than once a week, uh, which is a wonderful thing, because I'm sure you do it all the time yourself. But, you know, with a guy, when you have a big, sweaty guy in a Naked Truth shirt, it makes all the difference in the world. Would you agree? Also, last weekend, we had an elders retreat. Now, whose bright idea was it to have an elders retreat Super Bowl weekend and then to fly us back during the stinking game. See, that's what happens when you put spiritual people in, in, in charge of a church. I mean, that's just, can we agree? That's just dumb. And, and God's not going to honor that. But, thanks to JetBlue, I got to see the Madonna halftime show. Which was horrible. It is, let me ask you a question, brothers and sisters, is good music that hard to find? Is it that hard that we, we now, what is stuck in my head is L, U, V, Madonna. I don't want to sing about 53-year-old women. Nothing against 53-year-old women. We did do, besides lamenting the fact that we had an elders retreat during the Super Bowl, uh, we actually did do like spiritual stuff. And, uh, and one of the things that uh, has been true of Mariner's Church for years and years and years is that the elders gather and they pray and ask God for a church verse that kind of is the posture uh, that we feel like God wants for all of our communities. And so this year, the church verse is out of Proverbs, and I just thought we'd read it together. It's one that many of you know. Get naked, get truth naked, dot, whatever. Mondo, it's, this is the cue for the verse. There we go. So let's read this together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. And so as the elders prayed, this was the verse they really felt like God had put on their heart for our church communities. And, and so we'll be talking more about that. One of the things we discussed, though, look around you. Do we have any room? And, and, and we're running out of walls to partially tear down. 
And so, so one of the things we're going to start praying about is what would it look like to spin a community off of this one? So in the same way that Irvine spun this community off, what would it look like for this community to birth another community somewhere else uh, in South Orange County. And so we're just going to be praying about that. We have so many uh, talented and gifted men and women uh, in our midst who have passions for that. We have life groups. There's a life group leader over there. Big Nate, right? Big Nate. All right, let me tell you this. And you don't care, but I've missed you. So I'm going to just be relational for a little bit more. So we decide we've moved four times in three years, okay, which is dumb. With three little kids, it's awesome. So I get the stomach flu the day before we're moving, right? And, and, and so I have a large stomach, and so that's a lot of flu. And so I'm dying. And there is one life group, one life group that abandons their study of the Word of God, and they come to serve, and they move us in one night. It was fantastic. And what, yep, Marshall clapping. You don't care. See, you don't care. But, but the naked truth is, that they were massive. All right, Revelation chapter 4. We're going to the big scary book of Revelation, or as it's called in some circles, Revelations, which that's really not accurate. It's just kind of one sort of vision, but we'll, 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 any pronunciation will be fine. Now, we're going to spend five weeks. Oh, and if you need a Bible, we have highly trained, seminary-educated Bible hander-outers. And they have blue Bibles, because we all know that's God's favorite color. Uh, it is not pink. It is not pink. I'm sorry. Is the sky pink? No, it's blue. Is water pink? No, it's blue. I know it's clear, but it looks blue. Are my eyes pink? No, pink eyes, bad. <laughs> blue eyes, good. All right, Barbie has blue eyes. Le- need I say any more? L-U-V, Madonna. So we're going to spend four or five weeks. If you're new to our community, we had a great speaker last weekend. We'll have a good speaker next weekend, but this weekend, you're going to get some guy in a Naked Truth bowling shirt. And, uh, and we're going to spend four or five weeks in this vision that uh, John has given, Revelation 4 and 5. And we're going to talk about what it means to worship. Uh, and, and we're not going to look at any other part of the book. You're not ready for any other part of the book. I believe Revelation is the most misunderstood and abused book in the entire Bible. And just to give you a hint why, a fundamental rule in interpreting the Bible, uh, listen, I know it's a painful book. I know it's hard. A fundamental rule when you interpret the Bible is the assumption that it would have made sense to the original audience. Would you agree? So, Revelation would have made sense to its original audience. They wouldn't have read it and said, oh, Saddam Hussein. (laughs) So, with that in mind, we're going to spend the next 15 painful minutes together reading two chapters of the book of Revelation. And and I want you to see that, uh, and and, and we don't have time to do it justice, and so it's going to be painful because it's going to be reading a chunk, and then I'll make a couple of comments, read a chunk, make a couple of comments. And and we're not going to get hung up on all the details. I'll try to kind of do them justice. But there's a big obvious point we want to make that we'll need the telestrator for in 15 minutes. So if you're new to the church, if you're new to the Bible, uh, relevance 15 minutes, 20 minutes away. Revelation chapter 4. After this, now the after this 
John has recorded a vision he has of the risen Jesus walking through seven flesh and blood real life churches in Asia Minor in the first century. The persecution, the systematic persecution of Christians was just beginning when this was being written. It was going to intensify greatly over the next hundred years. And so one of the purposes of the seven letters to seven real churches was to say, I, Jesus says, I affirm this, I'm concerned about this, and if you stay faithful to me, this is the reward you'll receive. So w- one of the things that happens in Revelation 4 and 5 is you actually see people with the rewards that Jesus had promised. So after this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet, this was in chapter 1, said, come up here, I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Now, who's that? Okay, right answer always is Jesus, but in this case, we'll meet Jesus in chapter 5. This is just God. Now, The reason John makes this very circuitous reference to God is because John is Jewish. They do not use the divine name. So, this is, see, Revelation, one of the reasons why we don't understand Revelation is because it is, is, I mean, literally in its 400 verses, there are over 400 references to the Old Testament. And most of us are woefully Old Testament illiterate. And so, because of that, oh, this is all new. No, 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 no. So many of these things are recapitulations of visions that had happened in Ezekiel or Jeremiah or Isaiah. And so, as a very Jewish man, even today, some Jews won't even write the name God. They'll just write G-D. So, this is a very Jewish way of referencing God. At once I was in the Spirit, there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, ruby, this is from Ezekiel, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne, that's from Ezekiel 1. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. Now, in 2 Chronicles, see this is the painful part, in 2 Chronicles, David divides, he creates 24 divisions of Levites who minister in the temple. So these 24 thrones are representative of the 24 divisions. And what's interesting is later in the book, 12 of the thrones are are spoken of as representing the 12 tribes, and 12 of the thrones are are spoken of as representing the 12 apostles. So the 24-ness represents those who minister in the heavenly temple who are representative of all of God's people. I know it clears it right up. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. Now, in Exodus 19 and 20, when the people of God stand before Mount Sinai, one of the things that happens is there's lightning and thunder. So anytime you get kind of a a, a visitation of God, lightning and thunder are to be expected. Uh, In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. The word lamp there, literally menorah. These are the seven spirits of God. Now, these could be in reference to the, each of the angels that was, uh, that was overseeing each of the seven churches, or more likely, it's speaking of the one Holy Spirit who has the sevenfold purpose that Isaiah 11 speaks of. Again, painful? Yes. Relevance? 12 minutes. 
Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass. Now notice, how many times is John saying it seemed like this, and it looked like that? That is why if you took a drawing of this and put a rainbow and emeralds, you wouldn't do it justice because he doesn't have words big enough to capture. All he can say is, well, it's like this, or it looked like this, or it seemed like that. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures. And they were covered with eyes in front and in back, of course. Now, we meet these living creatures in other places, uh, Isaiah and Ezekiel, most notably. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a face like a man, the fourth was a flying eagle. Some think that that is representative of the created order. So it's all of their created orders worshiping as well as the community of saints represented by the thrones. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stop saying. Now think about that. Does God show up to our worship service or do we show up to his? You know, it's interesting. It seems like there are a bunch of people out there <laughs> here. We, we kind of have this language that says, no, 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 we're gathered and God's so impressed with our worship, He just shows up. No, 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 when we worship, we actually are showing up to what's happening all the time, right? So day and night, this is being said of God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now, in the biblical languages, you didn't have italics, you didn't have bold, you didn't have all caps. So if you wanted to emphasize something, the way that you did that is that you repeated it. The only attribute of God repeated like this is God's holiness. It never says God is love, love, love. God is good, good, good. He is totally those things. The primary characteristic, though, of God is God is holy, holy, holy. And that word means he's not like us. He's marked off. He's separate from. There's a temptation to think, well, I'm intelligent, so God's just like maximally intelligent. Or I'm, I have a bit of strength, so God is maximally strong. No, no. And so we project us onto just bigger. Holy, holy, holy means God is not like us in any way, shape, or form. We bear his image, true. But he is something altogether different. He's holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. And notice this, who was, who is, who is to come. What was the name in Exodus chapter 3 that God gave Moses? Remember? I am. Hey God, what's your name? You could call me I am. In contrast to all the pretender gods, I actually exist. That's what, the, that's what the Hebrew means. I'm real. I am. So this is the divine name in three tenses. I am in the past, I am in the present, and I am in the future. Who was, who is, who will be. So this is this very sacred, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, who is to come. Now notice verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, what do the 24 elders do? They fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And then they take their crowns off and lay them down before the throne. And they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, 
to receive glory, honor, power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Then, John writes, I saw in the right hand of him who sits on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Now, John, and, and we'll explore this more next week, John is not only taking Old Testament imagery, but he is subverting imagery that was used in the worship of the Caesars. Around the time this was written, the Caesars were receiving worship. In fact, in Ephesus, one of the cities here uh, where, where Jesus had written or spoken a letter to, that, there, that you had to burn incense in order to buy or sell in the marketplace. And once you burned incense, and it was an acknowledgement to Caesar, you literally had to worship Caesar to buy or sell. And then what would happen is you'd get a stamp either on your hand or on your forehead. You'd get a stamp, a mark. And so one of the questions that Christians had to wrestle with was, do you receive this mark? Is it idolatrous to receive this mark? And what John starts doing is he starts taking and subverting imagery that was used in the worship of the emperor. In fact, you want to look at at, uh, pictures of some of the Caesars or statues that still exist. Many times they'll have a scroll. And on that scroll will either be a list of their divine titles or a decree that they will speak into existence. So, we read that the one who sits on the throne has a scroll and it's sealed with seven seals. The question becomes, verse 2, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? Because it was sealed, only the person for whom it was intended could open it. But notice what John says, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. Does that rule out everybody? In heaven, on earth, under the earth. That takes care of all of us, right? None are worthy. Now guys, in hats, I know it's painful, but it gets better. It gets better. I know. I know. Now, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders, one of the 24 elders, said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. This is a reference to Genesis 49. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, reference to Isaiah, I think it's 9 or 11. Do not weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has what? Triumph. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, this is a very Jewish way of saying, hey, the Messiah, the promised Messiah, who's coming through the tribe of Judah, coming from the line of David, that Messiah is worthy to open the scroll. He has triumphed. He has conquered. Then I saw... So so John has heard that this lion has triumphed. Notice what he sees. Then I saw a what? A lamb, looking as if it had been slain, which is an image from Passover, right? So, let me get this straight. Get a vision of the heavens, thrown at the center of the universe, everyone's worshiping, there's a scroll, who's worthy to open a scroll? Don't worry, the conquering Messiah of the universe is worthy. Awesome, where is he? And then I look and I saw a lamb that had been martyred. A lamb that had been sacrificed. Do you see like a little, it's a little off? 
The whole triumph through suffering thing. You see that? And the fact that you and I just don't either roll our eyes or fall down in worship just shows like this is too familiar to us. But to them, how does God triumph over evil? By allowing it seem in victory. How does, he, how does he win over death? By dying. How does he win over suffering? By suffering. So God triumphs by sacrificing himself. So he hears about a conquering hero, but he sees a lamb that was slain. Now what's so interesting is this. Any expression of Christianity that does not have at its center sacrificing for the sake of the world is not a true and biblical expression of Christianity, is it? The Inquisition, the Crusades, forcing people to convert, is that conquering biblically? No. Biblically, one's conquering. Self-sacrificial martyrdom. And in fact, images you get through the book of Revelation is of all these martyrs who die because of persecution. Instead of saying to these little bitty churches facing persecution, hey, take up swords, God is with you. What's the book say? You're going to conquer the same way Messiah did. By dying. I'd like to conquer another way, please. Right? So he hears about a conqueror, he sees a lamb. Verse 7. The lamb went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he'd taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. So hold on, hold on. They'd just been worshiping who? God. Now who are they worshiping? So the reason the early Christians had to come up with a concept called the Trinity, the idea that there is one God, but this God has three personalities, three persons in, it, in its one Godness, is because of passages like this. The Lamb is receiving the same worship that God did. Each one of these elders had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense. This was used in emperor worship, but now, in an image borrowed from the Psalms, these bowls are the prayers of God's people. And they all sang a new song. They'd been singing songs to the Father, now they sing songs to the Lamb. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked. So he's got four living creatures and then elders. And he says, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000, the largest number you could write in Greek. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And at that... The living creatures bowed down and said, it is so. Which is what amen means. Now imagine you're in a little bitty church of 20 people meeting in a house in Ephesus. 
Imagine your city has just received a temple to worship the emperor. Imagine that to now conduct business in the marketplace, you have to burn incense as an act of worship to the emperor, acknowledging the emperor's right to have power. And you get a letter from a guy who's been exiled, and he says, I've seen the throne at the center of the universe, and Caesar is not on it. You think that means something to you? That'd be good news, wouldn't it? And and 2,000 years later, I have good news for us. Brothers and sisters, there is a throne at the center of the universe, and you are not on it. Can I get an amen? Because what you get, Mondo, fire it up. What you get is you get the image of a throne. And then here are four living creatures. And then here are elders. And then there are 10,000 times 10,000 angels. And then every single living creature on earth, under the earth, in the sea, in the heavens. And they're all looking inward. Can you imagine the absurdity? Kneeling down before this throne, elbowing your neighbor and saying, you know what, I was a vice president in my company by the age of 30. Hey, I was a two-year letterman in football. I mean, could you imagine all of our ranking and all of our achieving and all of our counting? It's going to be meaningless. When literally the image we're given of reality is that there is a throne and concentric circles, including everything in creation, are praising the one who sits on the throne. And the Lamb. So we have good news. There's a throne at the center of the universe and we're not on it. But, this is how I live my life. Here's a beach chair. And, and here's, here's my friends and there's my family and there's my co-workers. And, and then there's God. And I want to believe they're all... Looking in this way, right? Because although Caesar, not around anymore, just a salad by this point, right? I mean, could you imagine standing before Caesar Augustus and saying, hey, in 2,000 years, you'll be a salad? (laughs) Or the name of the head ape in Planet of the Apes. I mean... That's not a great legacy. But the lamb who was slain, on the other words. Interesting how that's worked. What's fascinating is that you and I and much of American Christianity fall under the illusion that life really is about me. And we never say it like this, but we live this way. And our world reinforces it. I mean, I could go to lunch and I can tweet where I just ate lunch. As if anybody really cares. Every... I can never have an unpublished thought. I mean, I mean, it is so crazy, isn't it? And the temptation, and, and, and we're all this way. I mean, we all really do think it's about us. My time, my money, my agenda, my power. Yes, <laughs> we really do think. And so what happens is, then you meet somebody who has their own throne and circles 
And you start dating and you say, well, it's all about me. And they say, oh, it's all about me. And then you say, no, it's about me. Oh, it's about me. Let's get married. That's a recipe for disaster. And then you create little thronelets over here. So what ends up happening is this. Even though we would acknowledge there is a throne at the center of the universe and we are not on it. Secretly, the desire of our hearts is to be worshipped too. I mean, that's the essence of sin, isn't it? Taking the chair that only God deserves. And think about how this applies to worship. Whenever you use the word worship in churches, you immediately get division over the hows of worship. Hymns, choruses. Drums, no drums. Loud, not loud. What do all of those conversations have in common? What we want. The fact that the vast majority of people sitting in American churches today will evaluate those church services in the same way they would evaluate movies is an obscene thing before Almighty God. How do you evaluate a movie? Did I like it? Did I get my money's worth? Was it good? Was it moving? How do you evaluate church? Did I like it? Was it good? Was it moving? I mean, can we just say, Jesus of Nazareth does not care if you like it. Because it's not for you. Every now and again, I need to be reminded of that. I need to be reminded that there are people in the world today walking with their bare feet many miles to meet under a little shack with eight or ten others who, if they were caught, would be persecuted, who, without chairs, amplification, or childcare, will spend hours for the privilege of praise of Jesus. And we just all kind of go, yeah, glory to God, glory to you forever. Why is that wall there? Glory to God. I mean, when I watch my beloved Buckeyes, my whole body's engaged. I mean, if I were to go to a football game, peel the shirt off in 20 degree weather, right? Which would be awesome. And paint myself scarlet and gray. Would anyone, would anyone think that is crazy? Yes, but it would be totally socially appropriate to do it there, right? And the more uninhibited you are about your sports teams, it's fine. But here, yep, God's center of the universe. Everything belongs to you. I mean, what happened? What happened to us? Why is it that I can cheer over 20-year-olds running a ball? But when it comes to the best news in the world that human history is going somewhere and is in the hands of a good God who redeems people like us, why is it i got to conjure that up? Why is it that I need props? Why is it that i I got to make sure my favorite person's leading or my best songs are put forward? What's happened to us? See, I, I, 
I hurt for my heart when I see the idolatry in it. And it's okay to have preferences. I mean, for sure. Our, our worship would be better if it sounded more like Pearl Jam. I think we can all agree. <laughs> but how quickly do our preferences become idols? And I have to have it my way. And so if we're really going to be serious about what it looks like to be a community of people who are learning imperfectly to orient their entire lives around Jesus, then one of the conversations we have to start with is that following Jesus means abandoning having to have it your way. In every way. You read a verse like Proverbs and it says, and he will make your path straight. I've learned his definition of straight and my definition of straight are two totally different, different definitions. I've learned I want to lean on my own understanding as often as possible. And I've learned the temptation of my heart is to sit on the throne of my own life and to believe it really is all about me. So what we want to do is we want to marinate in this passage for the next several weeks. Because I don't know about you, none of us, none of us comes here with unclean, or none of us comes here with clean lips and clean lives. We're all men and women of unclean lips and unclean lives. And when we hear about God conquering, and then we see the Lamb, we recognize the good news implicit in the Gospel is simply this. That in a world of idols and symbols that pollute our imaginations, God saw fit to give us a glimpse of what reality is like behind the veil of our senses. And this is what it looks like. So we get to practice a little bit this morning. What I want you to do is I want you to, um, I want you to stand up. You could do that now. And... And we're going to sing a song that comes straight out of this hymnal. It is literally the song that is sung to the Lamb and to Him who sits on the throne. And we're going to sing it through a couple times. And then we're going to invite the community to get on our knees and sing it again. Now I realize, if you're like me, i got bad knees, so it's not going to be long. And I realize you are jammed in there, and I don't know how you figure that out. If you don't want to go down on your knees, or if you can't, no one's going to care. But if you're able to, the last time I went down on a knee was when I asked my wife to marry me 11 years ago. And that was a form of begging. <laughs> there is a sense, there is a sense that the people of God need to use their bodies to redirect their hearts. As we've been doing it this weekend, I, there's something different about singing the song standing and singing the song kneeling. There's something different about it. And so we just want to courageously respond to this. So John, I'm glad you are tuned your guitar more quickly because last time he tried to make me lead this song and... That does not glorify God, my voice. Does not glorify Jesus. All right, so we're going to sing this together. To him who sits on the throne 
and unto the Sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. Sing that again. To him who sits on the throne. 